Chapter 5 of On the Trail of Don Quixote. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. On the Trail of Don Quixote by Auguste Jacassi. Chapter 5 El Taboso. Starting from Argamasilla before daylight, our little mule had trudged during eight long hours the denuded, inhospitable plain of La Mancha, where unchecked cold blasts from the Sierras hold wild riot in the winter, and which was now lying prostrate under the furious caresses of the sun, her parched soil bursting now and again with dull sounds like the moans of a creature in pain. When we became aware of the proximity of the highway we were looking for, it was by some ruins, inevitable concomitants of this land of the dead. Before these silent melancholy remains, and in the absence of the living, one can but feel the presence of the dead. Tis as if the past centuries were walking by the side of the traveller, keeping him company, and little imagination is needed to people again this great artery of human communications thrown across the undefiled country by the Romans, with Iberians, Goths, and Moors, with Spaniards of the time when Spain was the most powerful country of the civilized world. And see Isabella, Charles V, the somber Philip, speeding on in all the splendid paraphernalia of royalty, and with the retinue of haughty Castilians. What a sense of the swing of history one has in such places! And before the eternity of nature, how ephemeral and inconsequential human life seems! Ezekiel brings back some echoes of a past of which he is ignorant, in calling this road Arecife, the Arab name which has remained in the Manchegan dialect, one of the many patent souvenirs of five centuries of Moorish domination. The ruins were of an important venta, such a caravansary as was found every few leagues when all traveling and traffic between Madrid and Seville passed along this royal highway. If the ingenious surmises of the learned, who have industriously erected their ponderous commentaries all around Cervantes's romance, are true, this venta had the rare good fortune of being visited by Don Quixote in the beginning of his wanderings. It is there, in the courtyard, now empty and deserted, that the knight of the rueful countenance kept his nocturnal vigil at arms, preceding that morning when the rowdy, canny innkeeper made him a knight. To me let it be only what it surely is, and that is enough, one of the rare pages of the days of old, the mute witness of the comedies and tragedies, of the pleasures and troubles of some of our predecessors in the human procession. The advent of great personages, setting in a flutter innkeeper and servants, and remembered and retold for many years, the merry and the sad reunions, the rogueries, picaresque incidents, are blotted out of our world. Only these crumbling walls remain, pegs on which the mind in passing hangs its imaginings of forgotten people. And how soon these last vestiges of the venta shall fall, submerged in the inevitable tide of oblivion. Poor humanity, 
whose futile scratchings on the bosom of Mother Earth are but the making of its grave. Finding the well empty, we resume our journey toward the road guardhouse two miles away, to find it closed, and on northward again over the white road ablaze in the furnace heat. Under the cart covering, the scorching sun rays liquefy one's brain. The landscape around shimmers under the same trembling of the atmosphere that I had seen in the Sahara. Some olive trees with their fantastic trunks and branches, gnarled and crooked, seem the vivid personifications of the tortures of the heat. A mendicant seated in the dust scratching himself is the first man we see on this royal road. Later, two men pass us. Poor ones also, says Ezekiel. Queer fashion for mendicants to carry their guns on their shoulders. But then it is a general custom in La Mancha. These two fellows look like opera supernumeraries, except that their bronzed heads are finely chiseled and full of character, and that they are ragged beyond any possible imagination. We attempt a hasty lunch in the shadow of our cart, into which also the poor mule, lying down, stretches her head for comfort. It is hard work to eat without drinking, but such an experience has its value for the future enjoyment of that commonplace of life, the drinking of a glass of water. Toward four in the afternoon we find another guardhouse and pure, cool water. What a pleasure it is to see the dullness leave the eyes of our mule while she drinks in long, measured draughts, her legs and neck bracing up, her whole countenance changed, alert now, ready for fresh exertions. The brave brute. Across country again through a vega, a meadow, where from the tall reeds, out of which baskets are made, pop out, like strange flowers, the heads of young horses and mules standing still in herds, with their feet in the water of our friend, the Guadiana. Then the road leading up hill after hill, we alight and literally put our shoulders to the wheel. The character of the country changes. Climbing the first spurs of the mountains which form the northern limit of the plains of La Mancha, we enter one of the richest agricultural districts of Spain. Yet at this time of the year, there is no sign of vegetation. The bare earth alone greets the eye in desolate hills, all cut up with ravines caused by the spring floods. It is night and ten o'clock when we reach Erencia, having traveled some fifty miles during the day, mostly on bad roads. The inn, with its sign, a wooden cross, dangling above the door, was a grand place after the hardships of the day and as the Venta de Quesada, which we had seen in the morning, loomed up before Don Quixote's vision as a castle with four towers and spires of shining silver, not wanting drawbridge and moats and all the appurtenances with which such places are painted, so to my mind appeared the little inn and its possibilities. But whereas a drove of hogs greeted the Chevalier, we found an interesting band of revelers, in honor of the feast day upon which we had happened to stumble unawares, some thirty men were assembled round a huge table in a little courtyard, dimly and whimsically lighted by the dancing flames of some hanging lamps, which, though modern, were roughly made by hand, and of an ancient model, 
the same as of those lamps of Roman decadent style found in Pompeii. These men were energetically at work getting through a Homeric feast, where I learned afterward some fifty pounds of beef, thirty of bread, and dozens of chickens were disposed of in the good old fashion, and washed down with wine ad libitum. The scene had an unusual fascination in that the participants were silent, as if the affair were purely a matter of business. It proved to be the dinner offered once a year, in accordance with an ancient custom transmitted unbroken by some rich proprietor to his dependents and the arrieros of his estate. Ezekiel informed me that the sturdy fellows had prepared themselves for the event by an unusually scant diet, as was evident by their going through their work like well-oiled machines. We fared finally ourselves over that peninsular dish, the rabbit, the animal found on the ancient coins of the country, and testifying to the culinary gratitude of people not too spoiled in these matters. After our dinner, I would have done the rabbit a like honor had I had the choosing of coin designs. There was a dance afterward, very dignified, a mixed affair, local with a dash of civilized notions thrown in, a delightfully clumsy mixture of the provincial and the civilized dance. It was as if, while attempting to disport himself after our own fashion, a half-peasant, half-moor, had been unable to divest himself of the ways that had become the most rigid parts of his nature. In such way, the polka was half a cachucha, half a bolero, and the waltz smacked of the zapatera, with its queer contortions of the torso, and the rhythmic beat of heels and toes. But, alas, Herencia was the most important place I had as yet come across in my Manchegan rambles, and the most disagreeable sign of its thrift and prosperity, the men dressed in the universal civilized garb that I met with on all sides while following the stream of people towards the sanctuary, where was being celebrated the feast of San Iago, the patron saint of Spain. Don St. James, the Moorslayer, one of the most valiant saints and knights of the squadrons of Christ that ever the world had and heaven has now. Don Quixote, Part 2, Chapter 18 Near the entrance of the church, on a little table covered with a napkin, was a large platter full of coins. Its keeper, an old lady, the traditional duena, sunk in a low chair and lost in the folds of her mantilla, kept fluttering her fan vigorously, and at intervals, interrupting her constant mumbling of prayers, she turned to the next person to say, Jesus, it's hot. My little contribution is gracefully acknowledged in that way. From the church door, a company of soldiers lined the way to the altar, resplendent with its hundreds of lighted candles shining on pictures and marble columns, and candelabra and the profusion of gaudy paper flowers set in huge vases. The low murmur of prayers grows louder and quieter with the faint suggestion of a rhythm, that of a national tune. In a side chapel, before an old painting, black with age and bright with real jewels, some silver ornaments, a gold diadem, and bracelets glued on the canvas, a crowd of women on their knees form a picture a la ribera, with beautiful oppositions of intense light and black shadows. 
while all heads are devoutly bowed a single profile straight and hard remains erect that of a young girl of the pure arab type with the large black eyes full of flame and shadows with full lips firmly and finely drawn and sunk in the corners a strangely sensuous face which in a haughty way in the consciousness perhaps of superb animality seemed to wonder what the scene before it might have to do with real life why should that single figure seemingly out of keeping with its environment appear to me the most typical one perhaps because of the idiosyncrasies of my don quixote self and i think perhaps also because it was the one sincere involuntary expression there of these southern natures which having no deeply religious feelings take life after a manner eminently practical she cast cold disrespectful glances towards the devout paraphernalia on the chapel walls bringing to mind the levity with which in the age of the inquisition cervantes spoke of such things these tombs in which the bodies are of these great lords have they silver lamps in front of them or are the walls of their chapels adorned with crutches grave clothes periwigs legs and eyes of wax says sancho in don quixote part two chapter eight it is a far cry from the peasant's disregard to the liberal indifference of a great churchman yet under his hood the intellectual face of cervantes's powerful friend archbishop sandoval inquisitor-general must have worn a quizzical smile at the audacity of that book and author he so authoritatively protected otherwise the one might have ended in an auto de fe and the other in a dungeon the sky is studded with an infinitude of stars the streets are dark but for the few lights of some stands where fruit bread pastry and the omnipresent garbanzos chickpeas are sold the people are orderly moving so quietly that one misses the exuberance of feeling the bursts of merriment of the italians on such occasions no motions are made which would disturb the dignified folds of their capes and mantillas few words are exchanged yet one catches snatches of those sententious castilian proverbs full of sap and sense which are too near the seriousness of life to bring a laugh two young men strolling about the groups pause at a few twangs of their guitar the silent crowd presses around them the two players face one another one plays the accompaniment the other with that astonishing natural virtuosity which mimics real talent so well that one must know much to detect the difference plays the air their poses are characteristic the virtuoso standing straight his head thrown back the accompanist with bent body resting on one foot and his eyes riveted on his partner's guitar when the song is finished a few low claps of appreciation are heard while the crowds noiselessly disperse but in the distance a louder sensuous voice sings a malagueña which the wild expressive twangs of the guitar punctuate there is fury in the accompaniment passion in the voice and this reveals another side of these people's natures the smoldering fire under the ashes as we come out of the pueblo in the early morning a street merchant is already at work near the marketplace offering his stock of goods at auction to the country folks 
the pilgrims, who are getting ready to return home. It is the one occasion for most of those who come to town but once a twelvemonth, on such a feast day, to make their necessary purchases for the whole year. And this peculiar demand has brought out a class of drummers, whose life is spent in moving over the country from fiesta to fiesta. Reaching the highway outside the town, there goes before us a troop of chattering pilgrims, solid little women, bedizened with bright kerchiefs on heads and shoulders, mounted atop of the loads on their little donkeys. The dust clouds, glorified by the rising sun, make a halo about the gay picture full of movement. We pass them, look back, and, lo, the charm has vanished. The cavalcade is as commonplace as possible. It was the sun alone which made the pretty picture. As we now turn to look at the receding town, its silhouette clear on the tawny curtain of the Sierras behind, it takes the bewitching appearance of a fresh and dainty vision in white garb, softened and beautified by the tender light of the morning. In regard to beauty, Spain is the democratic land par excellence. Decrepit buildings, half-ruined villages, ragged mendicants have their daily hour of unrivaled splendor. Dilapidated objects and commonplace scenes touched by the sun of the south are turned by this incomparable magician in divisions of loveliness. In the course of the day the glorious light dwells on each detail of the landscape, in turn giving it inexpressible charm and beauty, and leaving it a dull corpse whose life has departed. And as we go on our journey this calm morning, there goes also with us in the gutters on each side of the well-kept road a stream of fireworks, tiny blue flowers, which against the neutral background of parched grass and, pierced by the slanting rays of the sun, are transfigured into radiant jewels. All too soon we come to Alcasa de San Juan, a town of some commercial importance, since the railroad branch to Valencia joins here the main road from Madrid to Seville. Alcázar naturally boasts of its station with its buffet. But far from me is the desire to eat from a table, covered with a tablecloth bearing the evidences of much service, Spanish imitations of English steaks, or to drink so-called Bordeaux wine from a glass instead of a black, rough, val de penas from a skin or earthenware bottle, and listen to the impossible Hispano-Franco-English talk of the waiter. There is enough local color left all around this buffet, symbol of nineteenth-century civilization, which, like a fungus amidst the grass and little plants of a prairie, is here stranded in provincial and old-time settings. We take a look at the adjacent country from the tower of the town hall, and have a hasty breakfast and rest at the fine fonda, whose monumental facade stands on a large plaza, the marketplace where an amusing spectacle is going on under the watchful eye of a municipal employee armed with a short broom. In the brief intervals between his exchange of civilities and gossip with passer-by, he plays at sweeping the pavement with such lordly poses and measured movements as would befit a grandee if such an one, which heaven forbid, were sunk to so lowly a pastime. Market hour is over, 
but a few peasants still linger in the hope of disposing of their stock and trade that they have spread out in the dust on the pavements they shout and sing the virtues of each particular fruit and vegetable paying extravagant compliments to every housekeeper who comes on the scene or poking fun at one another grumbling at providence and bad luck all in a jolly spirit and with rough strong voices and ripples of laughter there are some women among them handsome in multicolored dresses and it is of one of them that we buy our provision of fruit vayus de con dios god be with you she says as i leave then calling me back caballero when you go home tell your girl that they are pretty fine women the women of alcazar good in business and good in love and mind you senor they love but once end of chapter five